Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I, uh, I almost kind of hate to admit this, because uh, it's one of those guilty pleasures kind of thing. But um, as much as I hate to admit it, I've got to admit, I'm kind of a sucker for these makeover shows. You know, have you seen any of these? You know, it's, uh, I, I blame it all on Bob Vila, okay? It's all his fault. He's the guy that started this whole thing with uh, this old house, and they take this old run-down place and renovate it and everything. And See, I have some background in construction. My dad was a building contractor, and so I would watch this program. You can ask my wife, Betty. We'd sit there and watch it, and I'd say, that's not how you do that. No, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, Bob, old Bob get up there with a hammer and nail. You know, he'd drive one nail into a board and think he knew what he was doing. And I said, that's not how you do it. But I'm just kind of a sucker for this. Cause, and, and now there's a whole raft of these shows, okay? There's like Landscapers Challenge, uh, uh, Curb Appeal. There's a, whole, there's a whole network, Home and Garden TV, that's all about renovation stories, you know? Um, home Time, Sell This House, Flip This House, Flip That House, Flip... Everybody's flipping houses. I just, and it, what it amazes me is, is the before and after pictures. You know, and it's not just homes, by the way. You know, there are, there are restaurant makeover programs now. There are full body makeover, you know, extreme surgery, you know, all of these things. And, uh, and it's amazing. You see the before picture and you see the, see the after picture and you can't believe it's the same place or the same person. Uh, the, the big one to me is uh, the uh, extreme makeover home edition where this whole crew comes in and like in the path, in like one week, they completely demolish a house, raise it down to bare ground, new foundation, build a brand new house on top of the old lot. In one week's time. Now, i got to tell you, having some construction background, I'm not sure I would live in a house that was built in one week. There's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know? You want to make sure it all... And, and I've actually asked, asked myself a few times, I said, where were these guys for our building project? You know? It's taken us eight years. I'd love to have the guys come in one week, you know, put it all up. Before and after. The myth in watching these programs is that we kind of get this idea that we could do that, you know? We see the before, and we see the after. We say, well, that wasn't so hard. They did it in a half-hour program, you know? I could, is there anybody here that's taken on a home remodel project, inspired by one of these, and gotten halfway through and realized, this is not as easy as it looks on TV? Yeah, okay. It always takes longer. It always involves more headaches than you planned. We look at the before, and we look at the after, and we forget what happens in between. Now, I look around this room this morning, there's a lot of before and afters. A lot of you could tell your story about before and after you met Christ. And I bet if we went around this room and had everybody share their story, every one of us would admit it's been a long haul. It's taken a while, and the job's not done yet. Still under construction. Because when you talk about life, it takes a lot longer to see the results. Jesus talked about this. He actually told a number of stories about this idea, this before and after idea. And he wants us to understand that there's a progression to all of this. In Mark chapter 4, there's actually three different stories that Jesus told. And they all relate to this idea of planting seeds and growing plants. We're just going to look at one of them this morning. It's in Mark 4.26. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Day and night, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, 
though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as, this, as it is grain is ripe, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest time has come. What he is saying in this story is that the kingdom of God is about life. It's about life. How life takes root and begins to sprout up and develop and grow to maturity. And that is true with every aspect of life. Physical life, all kinds of physical life. And it is no less true about spiritual life as well. He says, understand that the kingdom of God is all about life. And he tells the story because he wants us to understand how faith begins, how it takes root, how it grows and matures. Because he wants us to understand in our own lives, it's going to take time. But also for those of us who have this heart and this passion to see that life reproduced in someone else, who care for and love our friends and our family and our neighbors, and we want to see them discover this life too. He says, this is a word of encouragement to you too, that you need to understand how this process works. And there are just some inescapable rules and laws of the harvest that you can't get around. They're inescapable. They're irrefutable. This is how it works, he says. So understand the process. And he says the first part of the process is you need to understand nothing grows if you don't plant seeds. Now, this isn't rocket science, folks. It's basic stuff. Nothing grows if you don't plant seeds. The whole story begins with the kingdom of God is like a man scattering seed on the ground. It starts with scattered seed. Every plant, living plant on this earth started somewhere with a seed. Every one of them. Nothing grows if you don't plant seeds. Now, you can take classes. In fact, you can, you can major in agriculture. In fact, if you go about an hour's drive up Highway 80 here, UC Davis has a whole school of agriculture and environmental science. They have 16 different majors you can take, all having to do with growing stuff. In fact, I went online this week just to kind of see what is the requirements for this. They have, a, they have a degree in environmental horticulture. Okay, Here's what you need to study to get a degree in environmental horticulture. You need to take environmental horticulture, both 1 and 6, landscape architecture 30, biological sciences 1A, 1B, and 1C, environmental science and policy 1 or 10, chemistry 2A, 2B, physics 1A, 1B, Plant sciences 21, and either mathematics 16A or statistics 13. You need to take soil science 180, plant biology 171, plant sciences 192, a minimum of three units. And then you can go into an area of specialization. You can specialize in urban forestry and take environmental horticulture 100, 101, 130, 133, entomology 110, evolution and biology, or plant biology 147, plant pathology 120, Floriculture, environmental horticulture, applied biological systems technology. You can study and take 180 degree, 180 units of classes to get a degree in horticulture. But it still comes down to planting a seed. <laughs> That's the bottom line. You can learn all about it, you can study all about it, but somewhere you gotta plant a seed. You can take a seed and examine it under a microscope. You can dissect it and pull it apart and look at all of, the, all of the aspects of it. You can pile up and store up seeds. You can sing songs about seeds. 
You can carry seeds around in a leather-bound, red-letter edition, King James Version sack. But if you don't plant seeds, nothing's going to grow. It all comes down to planting seeds. And it's not the size of the seed because Jesus said, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that you plant in the ground. It still has to be planted. Jesus was a non-stop seed planter. He was incessantly planting seeds. Wherever he went, whenever he spoke, whenever he engaged in life with somebody else, he was planting seeds. He never missed an opportunity to plant seeds. Why? Because he was convinced that in that seed was life. And the greatest gift that he could give to anybody was life. Life as God intended it. Life eternal. Life lived in relationship with God and understanding how He meant life to be lived. He never stopped sowing seeds. Constantly planting seeds. Because there is no greater gift that He could offer than that gift of life. And so it is with us. There's no greater gift than you can give anyone than that gift of life. But for life to begin, somebody's got to plant the seed. How do you plant seeds? Well, one of the ways is you begin to engage in life with other people. You look at the life and ministry of Jesus, and that's what he did. He hung out with people because he loved them. He spent time developing relationships. He had meaningful conversations about real-life stuff with people. He found as many ways as he could to explain and, and picture what this kingdom of God is like, what this life with God was all about. He engaged in life with other people. And the best thing you can do to help plant seeds is just start making friends. Just start building relationships. And I mean real relationships. Not just casual acquaintances. But real relationships. First Peter 2.12 says, Lead good lives among them, that then when they see your good works, they will give glory to God. The way that you live your life will impact the people around you. And notice, by the way, he doesn't say live perfect lives. Okay? He also doesn't say live pious lives or pretentious lives. He says just live good lives. There's actually two words, two different words that are used for the word, our English word, good, that are in the original Greek language, which is what the Bible was originally written in. One has to do with good versus bad. That's not the word that he uses here. The word that he uses here is good is a qualitative goodness about it. That there is an attractiveness. There's something beautiful. There's something in it that looks different. He says, live that kind of a life. So that people look at you as you engage with them, as you, as you begin to help them and, when, and get involved in their lives and, and help them deal with stuff that they're going through. When you come alongside and, and begin to build a relationship and support and carry and, and help. When you do that, people see a difference because that's not how most people react in this world. That's not how most people live their lives. And when you begin to live life in that way, people see something different. And they begin to ask, why would you do this? We have a group of people from our church. In fact, they could use some help <laughs> if you're interested in this. One way that you can do it. We have a group of people in our church that on a regular basis, once a week, go down to Liberty High School and provide breakfast they have what's called the stand. And they provide food for students at Liberty High School. 
Now understand that Liberty High School is a continuation school. It's a school in our community where a lot of kids that end up going there are kids that other people have given up on. But they go and in a very tangible way bring the love of Christ to somebody and just show we're here. To, we love you. We care about you. We're here to give you something. Free of charge, no strings attached. And over and over again, kids ask them, why do you do this? Because we believe that there is a God who loves everyone and who has value on every life and cares about you. That's why we do it. People will ask questions. Now, when they ask, he says, chapter 3, verse 15, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that you have. Be ready. He says it twice, by the way. Be ready to give the reason for it, but do it gently and with respect. If you are living in a loving, serving, caring, helping relationship with somebody, it's going to get their attention. And if you tune in, they will drop hints and signals about their interest in this. People will talk about important matters of the heart. And if you're paying attention, they're opening themselves up for you to share a little bit about your heart. They will tell you parts of their story. And if you'll pay attention to that, you'll get an opportunity to share a little bit of your story. They might admit struggles that they have. They might admit difficulties that they're having in their life. And in that moment, there will be a hint that will be dropped that you'll be able to say, you know, I've struggled with stuff like that too. And I've found a great strength that's beyond myself. Just pay attention. Just really listen to people as you engage life with them. And all kinds of opportunities will open up. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Some of the best ways to start a spiritual conversation is to ask questions of them. You know, we have, we have a number of realtors and, and people who work in the mortgage industry in our church. And, and uh, there's one particular realtor that I know that on a regular basis um, in serving their clients and when the deal closes and they sell the house and everything, they say, now, by the way, as you're new to the area, have you found a church home yet? You know, well, they're a good realtor. A good full-service realtor helps people find out where the important places are in town. Okay? There's an opportunity just by asking a question. You see, if you engage life with people, opportunities will open up. But you've got to pay attention to them. You've got to be ready. Nothing grows if you don't plant seed. It's the first rule. Every gardener, every, every landscaper, every farmer will tell you it all starts with planting seeds. Now, there's something else you need to understand is that every plant, every seed takes time to grow. It doesn't happen overnight. Remember, this is all about life. Think of your own journey. Your decision and your step of faith didn't happen all at once. It was a process. It takes time because life takes time. He describes it this way in verse 28. All by itself the soil produces grain. First the stalk comes up. Then the head appears. Finally, the full grain appears in the head. He said there's a process. There is an order to this. There is a natural progression by which things grow. And you need to be aware of that. Now in this series, we're talking about turning points. And in all of Jesus' stories, there are these turning points at which everything hinges. That things change at this point in the story. And in this story, it's a little bit different than the others we've been looking at. Because in this story, the turning point is slow and deliberate. 
Where those seem to, to happen all at once, in this one, he says, no, it takes time. Because this is a story about life in the kingdom. And life in the kingdom takes time. It's a little bit of turning along the way. It takes time for this to happen. There are seasons to growth. There is an order and a progression to growth. Do you know that there are some versions of Chinese bamboo, read this week, some versions of Chinese bamboo actually take five years to show any sign of life. You can plant the seed or, or the little sprout and you can water and fertilize it for a whole year and nothing happens. Nothing happens. You come back the next year, water, fertilize, tend to it, you know, weed around it, do everything you can, and nothing happens. Come back the third year, water, fertilize, tend to it, weed it, do everything around it, nothing happens. Not until the fifth year does it begin to show any sign of life. And usually what happens is it springs up huge in one year. For five years, nothing happens. And it looks like, is this thing ever going to grow? And then it shoots up. It takes five years to develop the root system to be able to supply what is needed for that thing to grow. And once it grows, it takes off. He says there is a mystery to all of this. There is a progression and there is a mystery. Notice he says, day and night the seed comes up and grows. It happens whether the farmer sleeps or gets up. He doesn't know how it happens. Now, it's not that the farmer doesn't know how to farm. The point that he's making is there is only so much the farmer can do. The farmer can plant the seed. He can till the soil. He can weed it out. He can fertilize it. He can do all of that stuff. He can water it. He can do everything that needs to be done. But at some point, there is a mystery to all of this, how it actually takes on life. There is so much you can do. There is so much only God can do. And that's the point that he's trying to make. There is a mystery to how life begins. There is a mystery to how spiritual life takes root and begins as well. You can plant seeds, you can cultivate, but there's a point at which it's really up to God. And that's why prayer becomes so important. It's part of, of, of the mystery of what God is doing in somebody else's life. You have no idea what's going on. But God does. Lee Strobel talks about this. He says, so important. He says, before you start talking to your friends about God, you might want to start talking to God about your friends. Be aware there's a mystery to it. So what can you do? What can you do? Well, the last couple of weeks I've asked you to, to specifically think about and pray for and begin to look for opportunities to share with three different people that you have in your life. Okay, On the bottom of this week's outline, those same three lines are there again. If you have not done this yet, because you can't save the whole world, but you can be involved in one, two, or three people's lives. So write down the names of three people. If you've already done this, Write down the same three names as a reminder to yourself that these are people that I want to see find the life that I've discovered. Be specific about it. Begin to pray for it. And look for opportunities to share. Recognize that people are at all different places in their relationship with God. Some people are far away. Some people are very close in the journey. Some people have no interest whatsoever. Some people can't wait for somebody to tell them. Everybody's different. There's a different process and different people are at different places in the process all along the way. Jesus again talked about this in the first parable that he told about this. He talked about scattering seed and some fell on the path. Some fell on rocky places where there wasn't much soil. Other seed fell among thorns and still others fell on good soil. 
It grew up and produced a crop. Now notice, three out of the four produced no lasting results. Was a farmer a failure? No. Because some fell on the good soil. And it grew up and produced a crop. Not everybody you share your faith with is going to respond. They're going to be at different places in their relationship with God and in their journey. And he identifies some of them. Some people, he said, their hearts have become hardened because they've just been trampled on. It's like a path that's been trampled down. The ground is so hard, there's no place for the seed to take root. They've been trampled on by life, stepped on, walked over, and been so hurt and so broken at times in their life that what they have done is they've, they've kind of formed a little protective shell around their heart. Because they've taken risks with people and they've been disappointed. And they've taken a risk of loving and they've been hurt. And so in protection, they've, they've kind of hardened up around their heart. And one of the best things you can do for somebody in that kind of a situation is just be a loving, tender, compassionate friend. And just show them that, that real love does stick with you. And there's a God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And your job might just be to kind of soften up the soil. It says some people, it's like seed that falls in soil that's filled with rocks. It takes root for a little while, but, but it doesn't last. Rocks are like doubts and, 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 and struggles and troubles that people have in their life. And there's so much other stuff going on in their life. They don't have time for the, for the seed of faith to take root and really grow strong. And maybe the best thing you could do for someone like that is help them work through those doubts and those troubles. Help get the rocks out of the soil. Might be one of the best things you could do. Some people, he said, it's like seed that falls right in the middle of a patch of thorny, thorny weeds. They are so consumed with making it in this world and making life and living the good life that all that stuff kind of chokes out spiritual matters. And maybe the best thing you can do for somebody's life is help them weed out some of that other stuff. So understand, everybody's at a different place. And everybody has different things going on. You never know what's going on. But don't stop sowing seed and don't stop cultivating the soil and don't stop being available because somewhere along the line, God is doing His work. Recognize people's different levels of receptivity. Now, to kind of help illustrate that, I've actually asked this morning um, two guys in our church to help uh, tell a little bit of their story. Um, Gary Zimmerman and Kevin Heyer are friends. And uh, Gary's a fairly new believer now, just came to Christ in this last year. And I've asked them to kind of come up and share their story from each of their perspectives on how this came about. For them. So, Gary, Kevin, would you guys kind of come up here and uh, please welcome them? Would you give them a warm welcome? Now, I've asked them both to share, and, and Kevin actually warned me last night. He said, You know, usually I just give like one word answers. You know, so like Saturday night crowd and, and the early morning service this morning, I gave the crowd per permission, okay? If he gives a one word answer, you have permission to boo him. Okay, because that'll that'll stimulate more words. All right. So um, what I'd like to kind of start with is where did your guy, where did your relationship begin? How did you first meet each other? Uh, Kevin, why don't you start? Um, I moved here in August of uh, 2001. I came from uh, Southern California and uh, <clears throat> I'd always worked in the union for the company that I work with there. And I came here and uh, took a management position and uh, I managed uh, 17 employees, of which uh, Gary was one of them. So I kind of in inherited him. 
Gary, what was your weed? What was what was your first reaction to Kevin when you first met him? Um, we knew that we were going to get a new supervisor. Uh, we were hopefully uh, hoping that uh, it would be a local man, uh, somebody from Santa Rosa, San Rafael, Napa, Vallejo. We didn't care where, but as long as it was a local person. Uh, but no, they had to hire Kevin. Um, <laughs> Bakersfield, of all places. Northern California, or Southern California. Um, so it was, um, it was a new transition for Kevin. Uh, for us as employees, it was new. Um, I don't know how welcomed he was when he first came, came into the yard. Like I said, we were really interested in a local boy taking it over, but uh, but Kevin um, Kevin was approachable. Uh, he was down to earth. There's somebody you could talk to, other than than most supervisors that uh, that they uh, they lock themselves in the office. Kevin had an open door policy. Uh, whatever you you needed to talk about, he was there and he would listen. So, Kevin, you moved here, and you were already a Christ follower, and uh, you're in a new situation, and you're looking for opportunities to plant some seeds, maybe. How did you, how did you do that? Well, it, it seems like he always gives you opportunities to do that if, if you just take advantage of it. And uh, uh, one of the things that uh, you touched on already is, is just to uh, live a good life um, so that it, it, it's obvious that you're different, and one of the ways that I was different in is that uh, um, uh, as part of the safety recognition program for the employees, uh, I took them to, to lunch on a regular basis. And so we'd go to a restaurant, and we'd order, and uh, the food would come, and uh, I'd bow my, hair, bow, bow my head to uh, say a, a prayer, and uh, that was new to them. As a matter of fact, sometimes they wouldn't even stop talking to me <laughs> while I was trying to pray. No, we were eating all the food. <laughs> So that was an opportunity that uh, came up. And another thing, too, is, is that uh, I've always been involved with uh, ministries, opportunities to uh, go places and uh, uh, work like uh, with the Mexico missions trip. And so I'd go on vacation and go down to Mexico and work at the orphanage and uh, come back. And the group would ask me, well, where have you been? You know, what did you do? And I'd tell them, and uh, they'd go, you did what? Well, why would you do that? You know. What a waste of a vacation. <laughs> And uh, then I had one opportunity that, uh, uh, that really stuck in Gary's mind, and uh, uh, that is uh, uh, one time that I took him to lunch, just him and I, uh, as a recognition thing. And we were at this restaurant, and we'd finished eating, and I noticed uh, a couple at the table next to us had finished before we did, and they got up to uh, pay, and they left, and one of them dropped something. And uh, so I walked over to see what it was, and I picked it up, and I left the room right away to uh, go find this guy because uh, he dropped a uh, $50 bill and I was uh, giving it back to him. And that made a big impression on Gary. Yeah, like I told Kev, I said, uh, first place I would have looked for is a women's restroom. No, <laughs> no man in here. I don't know where he's at. <laughs> pocket, pocket, pocket. <laughs> so, Gary, through all of this, um, what were you thinking? What was... Uh... How, how did these things kind of begin to impact you, and what started to make the difference? Well, Betty and I have, have, have talked about joining our church. Uh, most churches, um, they're huge. Um, they're unapproachable. Uh, we, um, 
PG&E as a company has changed a lot, but the employees still have a very family-oriented structure about them. Uh, when an uh, employee loved one should die, a, a, a son, a daughter, a, uh, a mother, a father, a loved one, uh, we as a unit would go to the funeral. And uh, one was held in a Catholic church. Uh, didn't understand half the stuff they were going on in there. I, I asked Kevin, I said, no, I couldn't go to no Catholic church. Most of us all Latin anyway. <laughs> and uh, Kevin, Kevin agreed. He said, I, no, but the church I go to is... Uh, very approachable, very small. And uh, I said, oh, okay. Um, but you didn't go. But I didn't go. Um, <laughs> one reason is um, I always kept myself on call. Uh, we were in a, in, a, in a job where you got called out a lot at night. Uh, someone had to cover the call on the weekends. Except for Sunday for me. Sunday was set aside for Betty. Um, Six days a week I was company. Uh, the seventh day belonged to Betty. It kept a happy marriage. Um, <laughs> it kept our marriage strong. It, uh, Betty knew that, that no matter what, no matter if that phone rang, no matter what kind of emergency they had, slam goes down the phone. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, that's how come I, I, didn't, um, I didn't go to church on Sunday. Um, everything that, that, that I had, it, it was... It was structured. Uh, I had all my ducks in a row, per se. Um, I really didn't think I needed a church. I, 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 I believed in the Lord. I, didn't, I did my praying. Uh, <laughs> Lord, get me out of this traffic jam. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, as far as church, um, you, it seemed like it was family, money, and then whatever happened beyond that. Uh, church was always sort of down at the bottom of the list. Kevin, through the five years, were there times that you felt frustrated and, and like giving up and like you're not making any headway and nothing's happening here? Yeah, I, I think that's fairly common to at some point feel like, you know, you're, you're not seeing any results. What good is this doing? Um, I mean, after all, it's been two or three years, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, I'd drop the ball and uh, forget about it for a while and then, and then remember to pray for him again. So, yeah, it, it's discouraging sometimes when you don't see results. But his, uh, his approach was very subtle. He would, uh, he would just say, Gary, um, if you ever want to go to church with us, the invitation is always open. Uh, Pastor Ken is always approachable. It's nothing like the churches that, that you went to at the funerals and stuff. Uh, it's a small, small church. Um, how many times I didn't ask you this in any of the other services but estimate how many times do you think Kevin invited you or tried to <clears throat> I don't know if I could count that high no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was several times but, but um, it, was, it was always after a funeral after um, after something, it, it was very subtle uh, in, in his approach. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't in your face. It was, uh, Gary, the church is there. If, if you want to go, uh, I'll be more than happy even to take you to church. Um, so what made the difference? Well, when I retired March 1st, April 1st, I was diagnosed with cancer, inoperable cancer. Uh, it had entered my uh, pancreas as well as my liver. Um, 
they gave me so many months up to a year. Um, I really looked at hard at my life, and uh, uh, like I say, this is after retirement, and um, I was in a hospital, and Kevin happened to come by. I didn't think I'd see Kev for a while, although we were good friends. Um, he uh, he came by, and, and there's a little chalkboard on there. He left a little message, and God bless you. Um, uh, I'll be back again to see you, my friend. Um, something within that order. I'm not sure exactly what it was. Close enough. Um, second time he came around, I happened to be in the in the room. They were doing some kind of procedure on me. And um, Kevin asked me again. Um, the church, the invitation is there if you do want to go to church. And, and I told Kevin, yeah, I think I do. Um, I need I need some help. I uh, I could handle anything. I uh, anything that that came that came I I, I can handle it, except for this. Um, I needed some big time help. Um, I knew the Lord was there, but um, to me it was I was still kind of intimidated by by large churches and stuff. So Kev's Kev gave me the address here. And so um, Betty and I come down here, and we're looking for a church. <laughs> there ain't no church here. <laughs> um, warehouses. And I said, well, this is, this is nice. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, we parked, and, and we wasn't really for sure if we even had the right place until we saw Christian Fellowship on the, on the, on the door. And lo and behold, Kev was there, so we figured we had the right place. And um, the first sermon that, uh, that we went, uh, uh, Pastor Ken had a, a guest speaker. And I said, oh, no, one of these things. Some guy's going to be on some TV there talking about Christ and stuff. And, and this is the first time I've ever been here. And this is going to be dry. And... Uh, Lo and behold, it's Shrek, some green character. <laughs> and how Pastor Ken got that with his sermon is beyond me, but he did it. And um, both Betty and I liked it. Um, he delivered the sermon. Uh, he has a very good sense of humor. He's approachable. The congregation was sort of like this. It wasn't that, that huge. Certainly it isn't a huge church. Um, we liked it, and uh, we started to come more often, and, and, uh, and then I talked to you. Yeah. Betty and I both came and talked to you about certain things, and um, you was a great help. And uh, Kev, I, uh, I love you, buddy. <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't for Kev and his persistence, subtle as it may be, uh, I think I would still be lost. And uh, this morning, I saw this, this lady. Um, she says, I have inoperable cancer, too. She has lung cancer. Um, I forgot to pick up her name. She probably said it, but I, I forgot it. And she said that uh, it doesn't matter. I have a great home here with, with, my, with my family and my church, but I've got a greater home to go to. And I said, yeah, 
I know. Mm. And if it wasn't for Kev, I wouldn't have found that greater home either. And this additional support I have with my family here. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You never know what's going on in somebody's life. You never know the heartaches, the tragedies, the fears. But if you're open, if you're loving and caring, you have a chance to share life. Nothing grows if you don't plant seeds. And when the seeds are planted, understand it's going to take time to grow. Be patient. And then just the last thing is, understand, you don't pick fruit until it's ripe. You don't pick fruit until it's ripe. He says, before long, the grain does ripen. So the farmer cuts it down because now the harvest is ready. You know, you can go to Safeway, you can go to Rayleigh's, you can buy your produce, and they say it's the freshest, you know. But there's no comparison between what you get at a big grocery store and what you get at the farmer's market. Because what, what they've got in the grocery store has been, you know, that, that supplies all kinds of grocery stores all over northern Southern California. They've got to pick that long before it's ready. And it ripens along the way. You go some, buy a piece of fruit or a tomato or something at the farmer's market when it just came off the truck and it was harvested that morning, there's no comparison. <laughs> there's no comparison. The key is being able to recognize when people are ripe, when they're open, when the combination of your planting of seeds and your sharing your life and sharing your faith and the work of God's Holy Spirit at work within their heart all comes together and life begins. And that happens different for every person. You can't push people into a decision that they're not ready to make. So don't try it. But what you can do is keep caring, keep loving, keep sharing, keep engaging, keep helping. And when you get opportunities, keep sharing, keep inviting, keep asking, keep listening. Be available. See, God's plan has always been one life touching another. That has always been His plan. There is no plan B. It has always been about one life touching another, from one life to another. You read the first story that He told, and He talks about this, this whole idea that it grew up and it produced a crop 30, 60, even 100 times more than the farmer had planted. Where does the seed come from? The seed comes from the harvest Previously, in each harvest, there is the seed for the next planting. It grows up 30, 60, 100 times because the seed that matures and grows up within that wheat stalk becomes the seed for the next planting. There is always a season. There is always ongoing planting. And it always, it always comes from one stalk of, of wheat to another seed that's planted. That's the way it happens, folks. There's no other way. That has always been the way God has intended it. And you can help someone take that step of faith. You can do that. You can be the one to help answer the questions or carry the load or getting involved in sharing the hope that you have discovered in Christ. Bill Hybels recently wrote a book called Just Walk Across the Room just talking about the simplicity of engaging in life with people and taking the risk to engage people in spiritual conversations. And he writes this. Think about your own story for a moment. 
How did you wind up in the kingdom of God? As I ruminated on this, I've begun challenging people to pay close attention to that question. In terms of the walk across the room metaphor, I believe 10 out of 10 people would agree that when they boil it all down, it always involved one person making a decision to walk toward them, to reach out a hand of friendship. Someone taking a risk for them to bridge an ethnic, religious, or socioeconomic chasm. Someone investing time to wonder about their eternal destiny. Someone exerting a little effort to interest them in the possibility that they could know the love of God and be freed from their sin someday. God says that if you were a follower of Christ, He has poured pure water over you and scrubbed you clean. He has given you a new heart, replacing the stony one with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. He has put His Spirit in you and makes it possible for you to do what He asked you to do so that you can live every day in that freedom. The living water that he offered to a woman at the well so many years ago is now bubbling and coursing and rushing right inside your heart. And it's there for a reason. It exists not only that your eternal thirst might be quenched, but also that you would walk into work each day choosing to be focused on more than just business as usual, the business at hand. That you would be tender toward the Spirit's prompting to cross the office complex or a construction site or a school building that you would remember that Christ's blood shed for each and every person you see, that you would put some action behind your faith as you walk across a room, look a person directly in the eyes and simply ask, would you like a cup of water? Jesus said the problem is not that people aren't interested. The problem is not that there's no harvest to reap. So that's not the problem. He says, look around you. Vast fields are ripening all around you and are ready now for harvest. He says, the problem is that the harvest is so great and the workers are so few. I know most of you sitting here saying, I wouldn't know what to say. If a conversation about God started up, I wouldn't know where to take it. I wouldn't know where to begin when I wouldn't know how to answer the questions. We're going to help you. (laughs) Beginning... A week from tomorrow night, we're offering a course based on this book called Just Walk Across the Room. For four weeks, we're going to help you understand how you can better live out your faith and share your faith so that others could discover the life that you have. And my goal would be that everybody in this room takes that class because we all could get better at doing this. Do you know that in the early days of this church, we were nonstop seed scatterers? Man, we were talking to everybody we could about the life that God had for them and the church that we were starting and how much we would want them to be a part of that. We did it nonstop. I mean, all everywhere we went, wherever we had conversations with people, we were looking for opportunities. And I got to be honest with you, folks. As we have grown and matured and become a little more established as a church family, we don't do that as much as we used to. And I'm speaking for myself. And my prayer and my heart is that my heart would be touched like God's heart for people. That I would love them in the way that He does. That I would share with them the hope and the life that I have so that they would discover the life that He has for them. And my prayer is that that would be a church-wide heartbeat. That every one of us would look a little bit differently at the people in our lives. That we would be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit when he says, say something. (laughs) 
and that we would just simply engage in life with our friends and our family in such a way that we could plant seeds and see life take root in them. Would you bow your heads with me? The one thing I don't want to do this morning is give you the wrong impression, folks. Hearing Gary's story and Kevin's story, sharing some of my own stories, I I want you to know I, I, I feel so awkward at this myself. And I probably fail more times than I succeed in in really trying to explain what it is that I want people to understand. The opportunities arise or a conversation goes that direction and it's like I get tongue-tied, you know? My tongue swells up, my mouth goes dry and I get so nervous and I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and I usually do. But I will tell you this. I love the people in my life. And I want to see them get in on what I've discovered. And as awkward as it is sometimes, and as difficult, and as much as I might fail sometimes, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep learning to do it better. I'm going to keep engaging in spiritual conversations with people because I know in that there is life. I'm going to ask that you would join me in that. That just a new way of looking at the people in your life and a new heart of love that aches for them to discover what you've discovered. Would you make this your prayer with me? Lord, I am awkward. I am tongue-tied. I have great difficulty talking about such an important thing. But the people in my life I love I want to see them discover what I have. So give me the opportunities and give me the boldness and do your work in their lives, that mysterious work that only your spirit can do, so that together we would share in the joy of one more person that has discovered life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Sing this song in closing. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart bless your name, bless your name, Jesus. And the deeds of the day, and the truth in my way, speak of you, speak of you, Jesus. here this morning and you consider yourself a seeker and you're just wanting to find out more about this, I'd love to have a conversation with you and tell you a little bit more about what I've discovered. Feel free to come on up as everybody's leaving. Just I'll hang around here for a little bit. Feel free to come and love to talk with you. As you go, 
go with that message of life in your heart and, and plant some seeds and share that with somebody else. And just see what God would do if you just make yourself available. To that end, go in His grace and in His strength. Go plant some seeds. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.